It's very good to be here this evening. I appreciate the opportunity I have to uh, share a portion of God's Word with you this evening. If you're a visitor, I'd like to welcome you as well and, and welcome you to come back and worship with us at any opportunity you might have. I'd like to say that I appreciate Jacob's prayer on my behalf. It's my prayer too as well that the things that we have to study this evening will be beneficial to all of us. It's something that all of us can benefit, I believe. I believe we can all gain in the study of Scripture always, but we all have something in common. And what we all have in common is, is if we've reached that age of accountability, we all have sin in our lives. And we all need to do something about that sin that we have in our lives. With that being said, I'd like to begin this, this evening in Genesis, the first chapter, with the first verse. And it reads, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. You know, this verse is very, very powerful. It's a very simple statement of fact. <clears throat> and sometimes I don't think we always acknowledge how substantial this statement is, how important this is. It simply states that there's a beginning to the universe and that God is the creator. He's the creator of everything. We continue along in Genesis, the first chapter, in verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our own image and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in which is the fruit of the tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. You know, mankind spends a lot of time and energy and resources looking for answers. And man likes to make up his own ideals. And man questions what his role in this world is, what his purpose is. And man even begins to question whether or not he has responsibilities to his other men, to God, to the world. And this leads man to be selfish, to act in his own self-interest, to be full of conceit. And it's very, very dangerous. But God has given us the facts. God has given us the answers. We don't have to wonder what our place is here on this earth. We don't have to guess what our purpose is, why we're here. 
We don't have to wonder if there's value in life. He's given us all those answers in these first few short verses. Here at the end, I would like to call your attention to the writer proclaims that God looked over his creation, and it wasn't just good. He called it very good, and I think that's very important. Genesis 2 and verse 7 reads, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed, it, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living soul. And then verse 15, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and keep it. In verse 19, And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. Look at the relationship Adam had with God. Okay? We have those three tasks there that he was given on the left. We see Adam was God's creation. What kind of relationship is that? That's a special relationship to have with your creator. And Adam was tasked with a job. He was the caretaker of God's perfect creation. More specifically, he was the caretaker of the garden. And then God paraded the animals before Adam. And God entrusted him. He gave him a job. Name them. Tell me what they're going to be called. And Adam named everything. Do you realize how special that relationship Adam had with God was? Adam was provided for in his every need. There were no weeds. There were no imperfections. Adam knew a time of constant peace. God provided Adam with a helper, with a wife, with a mate, someone there to be with him. He wasn't alone. Adam had no fear. You ever thought about that? There's nothing for Adam to fear. Can you imagine what a tranquil time that was? At this point, Adam knew no sin, had no sickness, had no regrets, had no pain, had no mental stress. Everything was perfect. The Bible says this in verse 25, after wrapping up all the thoughts there in, in chapter 2. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Have you ever really thought about what this verse means? I'll be honest with you, I was motivated to put this study together based on this verse, thinking about it, thinking about what it meant, what the context of that really was, how that really was. We're not ashamed. You know, the scriptures simply say he was not ashamed. But we know there's more to the story. Something happened. There was a point in time in Adam's life when he was not ashamed, so therefore we know that there's a point in time in Adam's life where he come to no shame. 
Clearly, we can conclude that Adam came to be acquainted with shame and fear. He went from walking in the garden with, with God to the next we read about him, he's hiding. He's hiding from God, from his creator that he had that special relationship with, that he walked with, that he was given jobs personally to, to do. How did we go from this state to where we find ourselves today? Because that is a huge jump. It's a huge change. It's a pivot. Sin. We all know that sin causes separation. Sin is what caused Adam to fall. It's what's caused him to be removed from the garden. It's what caused all the problems. Romans 5 and verse 12. Wherefore, by as one man's sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. You know, that time period that was void of suffering has gone away. We can no longer say that there is no sin, that there is no sickness, that there are no regrets, that there is no pain, that there is no mental stress. But now there's heartache. There's disappointment and there's strife. There's no longer a period of constant peace. The scripture says, death passed upon all. Physical death and spiritual death. Romans 6 and verse 23 reads, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We talked about sin being a separation. This verse talks about wages and a gift. We all have jobs. We understand what wages are. Wages is something we earn. And then on the other side of that is a gift. We all understand what a gift is. A gift is an act of kindness. It's something not earned. It's two different sides of the equation. It's two different things. Sinful man earns or deserves death, punishment or separation, however you want to say it. But God gives us life. He gives us rest, and he gives us a home with him in heaven. Not because we earned it, but because he's merciful, because it's a gift. Romans 14 and verse 11 reads, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. No one will escape this. No one will be exempt. You will give an answer. You will bow down and you will confess. This should be a very sobering fact because it, it will happen. And there will be a judgment. But thankfully God has not left us without hope. He has not left us alone and he has not left us by ourselves. Romans 5 and 8 reads, But God commended his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We have hope because of the gospel. Sorry, I got off there. Romans 6 and verse 23 reads, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
we jump back to Romans 1 and 16, it reads, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. That gift of God, the eternal life, that's the power of God unto salvation. We spoke about a gift and what a gift is. Eternal life. Eternal life is salvation. I want to point out at one point in time, Adam had a clear conscience. He had peace and everything was perfect. And we can experience that clear conscience and have peace again too. But the only way for us to do that is through the gospel. Romans 1 and verse 16 reads, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The gospel has power, and the righteousness of God is God's grace and favor to us. God wants all men to come find salvation. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I have preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and how he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Paul says he declares unto you the gospel. And then in verses 3 and 4, he tells you what the gospel is. Christ died, he was buried, and he rose again. It's very simple. It's easy. And the scriptures teach it to us over and over. As I look out in the audience, I see people at different stages of life. With different goals. With different ideals with different dreams. Some of you are starting families. Some of you are leaving home. Some of you have little children. Some of you have older children. Some of you are empty nesters. Some of you are grand grandparents. You know, we all are at different stages of life. But as I said at the beginning, we all have one thing in common. Regardless of who we are or what stage of life we find ourselves in, if we have sin in our lives, we are debtors. And we need hope. We need a Savior, and we need Christ to pay for our sins. It's a debt we can't pay ourselves. And we should all here want to go to heaven. 1 Peter 3 and 15 reads, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Do you have hope in you? I hope so. Is your hope in heaven? It better be. Romans 5 and verse 9 reads, Much more then being now justified by his blood, we should be saved from the wrath through him. For if when, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we should be saved by his life. 
And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we now receive the atonement. If you look at the words I highlighted there, you see just, justified, saved, reconciled, atoned. All these words go with our hope. All of these things get us into heaven. Being justified, being saved, being reconciled, being atoned, being made whole, being made right, being separated from sin. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For though the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God in the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so the gift for the judgment was by one condemnation. But the free gift is of many offense unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the judgment of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That is, sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through the righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Everyone that's reached the age of accountability has fallen short for all of sin. No one could be justified without God, and everyone needs redemption. God offers us a gift, a new life, and Jesus has done for us what we could not. You know, God has always provided for his people. He's always provided a way for salvation. And he's always had a plan. And God has offered us hope. If you look back through the words that I've highlighted through that reading, I know that was a long seven verses there. It talked about death and the free gift and grace and judgment, justification. And that free gift come upon all men under justification of life. There's that hope that I was talking about. God offers us hope, hope of a home in heaven. <clears throat> but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. God's grace is always larger than our sin. God is always able to take care of our needs. Romans 6 and verse 1 says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? We must make a change. We must have a change of heart. We must change our attitude. We must change the way we act. You know, what is the grace of God? 
Grace means favor. Grace is undue favor. We do not deserve it. And it's through that grace that God works effective change in our hearts and in our lives. Grace gives us a new life, one not condemned, one with hope. Grace gives us a hope of a home in heaven. Romans 6, beginning in verse 3, reads, Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Baptism into his death. Raised up new into a new life. The old man is crucified. We're dead to sin. Beginning... Uh, continue on in verse 8. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death have no more dominion over him. For in all that died, he died into sin once, but in, <clears throat> in that he lived, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon you also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield you your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. You know, I call this our daily struggle. This is everyday life. It's easy to live the life of a Christian. It's easy to be excited about God and church and this building around these people. But when we leave here, when we're, when we're at work, when we're away, it's a struggle. And we've got to wake up and we've got to start making choices. And we're gonna, are we going to choose to be selfish, to seek after worldly pleasure, or to seek after goodness? You know, we're persuaded from the scriptures to choose a new life. One free from sin, free from the separation free from the spiritual death. The scriptures talk about making a new start, about turning away, about repenting. And that's the challenge. We have to do that. We have to make that conscious decision. And it's not just one decision that we can make one day. It's important that we make that decision, that we decide we're going to draw a line in the sand and we say we're going to make a change and I'm going to do better from here on. I'm going to be more Christ-like. I'm going to try to follow his will better. And that's important that we do that. But we can't just draw that line in the sand and do it once and then go about our lives. We have to choose every day. Choose to follow God. Choose to, to draw closer to him. To study. Romans 6 and verse 6 reads, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Our old selves, our old ways, were buried. They were buried in baptism, and they were put away. 
And we raised up from the dead to walk in newness of life. The person we were, the one that lived in sin, should have died. As Christians, we are to be, we are to put away, to remove, to repent from that lifestyle of sin. To become something new, something godly, and something void of sin. Continue on in verse 17. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed him from the heart, that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For if you, you have yielded your members' servants unto uncleanness, and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members' servants to righteousness unto holiness. These verses just give us a simple peek into how we should act, how we should live, what we should do. You know, it points out here that we were the servants of sin, and now we're the servants of righteousness. There's nothing left in the middle. You're either going to serve sin or you're going to serve righteousness. You're not going to ride the fence and be lukewarm. Verse 20. For when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had had ye then in those things which thereof you were now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become the servants of God, you have your fruit unto holiness and to the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I don't know if you can tell or not, but I really enjoy studying Romans. As someone that was not raised in the church, this book contains so much information. So much insight. It just prepares somebody so well. It talks about what it means to be a Christian. It talks about what sin is. It talks about how we're separated from God because of our sin. It tells us how to be made whole again after we've been separated. How our relationship should be with Jesus. What hope is. What a hope in the home of heaven is. It really lays out in a really simple way, an easy way for us to understand the scriptures. And I really enjoy studying out of Romans. And it's really easy for me to pick out these verses. And it's really easy for me to share these with you. And I think we should all study it. We should study all the scriptures, surely. But I think it's really easy for somebody that doesn't have a background when you're studying with somebody to go to Romans and show it to them and show them the scriptures and let them read them and let them see it for themselves. And let them see how they can be free from sin. You know, this verse here says, the fruit of <coughs> you have your fruit unto holiness and the everlasting life. Our fruit What we get out of a Christian life, our reward there is the everlasting life. It's the salvation. It's the home in heaven 
whatever you want to call it, that's our fruit. That's our reward. That's what we're looking for, is that home in heaven, that everlasting life. Romans does an excellent job of laying out what your life looks like without Jesus versus what it is with Jesus. Without Jesus, we're slaves to sin. With Jesus, we can be made free. Without Jesus, we have sin. We have separation. We have no hope. There's only death. With Jesus, Jesus saves. He makes us alive again. Makes us new creatures. And he talks about being lively creatures. We're not just to be bumps on the log, just to be sitting on pews but to be lively, to grow like Brian talked about this morning. We need to grow in our spirit, grow in our knowledge. We need to spread, spread the gospel that we've been talking about, spread the good news. And obviously without Jesus, we have no hope. And with Jesus, we have hope. We have hope, we have forgiveness, we have the free gift. We can be made whole and clean we can find salvation. So how do we apply this? How do we apply this to our lives? <clears throat> As I said earlier, we have a choice. You know, we can either choose to serve evil or we can choose to serve good. We can choose to serve the world. We can choose to serve God. But we're just going to be one or the other. We're not going to be in the middle. We're not going to ride the fence. God has made it clear he wants a relationship with his people. As Christians, we must strive to resist sin every day. We can't just draw a line in the sand and that be it. We have to dedicate ourselves to growing, to choosing to do right. We must try to live more Christ-like. I believe Colossians 3 gives us an, an example of how to do that, how to live more Christ-like. It begins there in verse 1. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Ought to be able to just quit reading right there, and that ought to be enough. It is simple enough. Everybody in this room can understand that. If you be risen with Christ, if you be Christ, if you be a Christian... Seek those things which are above. It is that simple. It's hard to apply. It's hard for me to apply. I think it's hard for you to apply. But it really is that simple. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. Look to God. Look for goodness. Shy away from selfishness. Shy away from the world. Shy away from sin. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, inordinate affections, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh unto the children of disobedience, in the which you also walked in some time when you lived in them. But now you also put on all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communications out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man which, with his deeds 
and have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. Here's the list of the things to remove. He didn't leave us alone. He gave us a list. Get rid of these things. You know, we've had some really great lessons here lately about the importance of removing sin, removing evil from our lives, about sweeping our home and getting it clean, and the importance of not just getting those evil things out of our lives, but getting out of our lives, getting them out of our lives, and then replacing them with something good, replacing them with God. Because if we don't replace them with God, the Bible says that it's going to come back. We're going to just have more evil in our lives, and it's going to be worse off than it was when we begin. So what are those good things? Let's continue on in verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against <coughs> any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also ye are called in one body, that ye be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. He gives us this list of things to add, and I encourage you to add them. If you don't have those in your life, add them. If you only have one of them, add something else. If you have them all, Add some more goodness. Study, meditate, pray. I encourage you to be all in. He ends there with giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. This is kind of a sad side note. But have you ever thought about giving thanks? Have you ever really kind of noticed your attitude, how it changes when you're thankful? Have you ever made it a point in your life to just tell people thank you and go out of your way to tell people thank you, people close to you, but maybe people not so close to you, people at the restaurant, people you see in line, people you just come in contact day by day? You ever notice how people change, how their attitude, how their countenance changes towards you when you're kind, when you're thankful? You see how a little thing, just one little thing changing one little thing in your life, how it's positive, how it makes you closer to God, how you could be a positive influence. You know, that one little thank you might lead to a conversation, and that little conversation might lead to another conversation, and that might lead to a study, and that might lead to somebody being shared the gospel, and that might change their entire life. Just in the little things we do in life. Just drawing a little closer to Christ. Second Corinthians 5, beginning of verse 15 reads, And he died for all. All those who lived should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. There's that new life. There's that change. 
that change of heart, that change of attitude, that change of perspective, of motivation. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him, thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has commuted, <coughs> committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You ever thought about the fact that you're an ambassador? You're an ambassador to Christ? Why are you an ambassador to Christ? To share the good news. For he had made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You know, in these verses, we see that we are sinners and fallen, that we need a Savior, and that Christ paid our debt. That we've become something new. That we were to turn away from sin. And that we're to seek to be more Christ-like. We see that Christ lived, Christ died, and Christ rose again. We find the gospel again in these verses. You know, I began with this, this evening with Adam. And his special relationship he had with God. His special relationship he had with his creator. That it was perfect. That it was peaceful. It was tranquil. Romans 5 and verse 9 reads, Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him, through Jesus. Being justified by Jesus' blood. When we come into contact with Jesus' blood in baptism, we are made whole. We are justified. We are saved. And we can stand before our God once again unashamed. I end asking you, what is your relationship with your Creator? Do you have sin in your life? Are you separated from your Creator? Do you know Him? Do you know your God? More importantly, does your God know you? The lesson is yours this evening. We're going to offer an invitation at this time. If there'd be someone that would be subject to the invitation, we'd ask that you come forward as we stand and sing.